Our text today is in Psalm number 32. Psalm number 32 as we do our summer series out of the book of Psalms. Psalm number 32 for our text today. My grandfather was named Tula. He came from Norway to America and went to work in the shipyards in Brooklyn. He got up early, walked to work every day, and every morning he passed Thomas Edison, said good morning to him. <laughs> he was a shipbuilder and soon became captain of the shipyards. He's a very clever man with his hands. Like many Norwegians, he was a good wood carver. One of the things I remember best was that he carved shoes out of a block of wood. I always used to think how uncomfortable wooden shoes must be until one day I put my feet in those shoes. And then I realized that with his hand inside the shoe, he was carving by touch and not by sight. I understood just how clever he was with his hands. He had four sons. Olaf, the oldest one, made wooden bolts and sold them, and he was clever with his hands. There were two more brothers who became contractors and built beautiful homes, also clever with her hands. And then there was my father, <laughs> who was not clever with his hands at all. I remember when I was a kid, in order to hold the Christmas tree up, he'd get two big giant spikes and nail them in the wall and wired the Christmas tree with big old wire on those two crooked spikes after he missed them a few times. They were crooked. My mother cringed when she saw him coming with a hammer and two nails. He was not clever with his hands. I remember working on his house, and I tried to get him to help me hang drywall on the ceiling. I said, I'll hold it in place. You just put a couple screws in it. He simply couldn't do it. He couldn't drive the screws into the drywall. So finally I found a job that he could do. Uh, and drive little nails into subflooring. If he sat on a floor, he could do that. So I laid the subflooring and tacked it in place and told him, now you nail the rest of it down. And after a while, he said, I ran out of nails. And he nailed in little one-inch squares <laughs> that entire subfloor. So it looked shiny when I saw it. This is all shiny. And I bought him another box of nails, and I told him, I'll bet that floor will never squeak. <laughs> <laughs> he just wasn't clever with his hands. In our psalm today, we're going to talk about hands. Our psalm, and also nails. Our psalm is number 32, always considered by the great men of the past to be one of the best psalms. You'll notice the introduction of it is just one word. It says a psalm of David, the author, masco, which means to teach, to instruct. David, its author, decided that he would teach us this lesson, and he will be the schoolmaster, and give us a lesson that everybody needs to learn. As a matter of fact, this lesson is the most important lesson that you could ever learn. And to fail this class is to die. And so I pray you will not fail this class. Now he starts with the word blessed, the very first word of his psalm. Jesus, the greatest preacher of all time, preached the most famous sermon 
ever preach, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he started the same way with blessed. Simply put, blessed means happy. It's the easiest way to dis- discuss it. Jesus said, blessed are the meek in his sermon, blessed are the poor, happy are the peacemaker. Now here in Psalm 32, David says, the man uh, that is truly happy will have these things happen to him. So we're going to begin reading at verse 1 and 2 because they're right there. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. Now, David's method of teaching is to say this. I wasn't happy. I was far from being happy. But I did something... And it made me very happy. So verses 1 and 2, being happy and blessed, come after verse 3 and all the way to the end uh, where he describes what, how he was before he got to be happy. So we're going to start really at the beginning with verse 3 chronologically speaking, this is what happened first. This is David in his unhappy state. Now this psalm is to teach us how to repent. How to ask God to forgive you. So my friends, make sure you get an A in this class. (laughs) You need this class to pass the school of life. Now, verse 3 and 4. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. David had sinned. He didn't tell us here what he did. Uh, He doesn't have to. It wasn't a secret. Everybody knew. After all, he was the king. He had committed adultery with his neighbor's wife. And to cover it up, he had his neighbor murdered. That's what King David did. And now you say, Eric, I never did anything that bad. Well, one comes from lust. The other one comes from hatred. And I think those things are easy to find in our hearts. David says he kept silent. What he means is that he never told God. He didn't talk to God about his sins. He ignored God. He acted like it never happened. And he just went about his life and pretended he never did anything wrong. But we see something here, two strange words. Uh, One is silence, and the other one is roaring. Inside him, his conscience is roaring. His conscience constantly reminds him of what he did. And he says that the conflict between his heart being silent, not talking to God, and his conscience roaring... Caused him, he says, to wax old. Some of you know what he means when he's talking about waxing old, right? 
His bones, he says, the strength of the body is the bones. He says, my bones, he said, uh, the strength of the body, the most powerful part of the body, he says, was feeling old and worn out. Unconfessed sin was sapping away his strength. His life energy was running low. The power to continue life was fading away. And so what he's saying is he felt like he was dying. And then he says it in a very special way. He felt like God's hand was on him. Grabbing him. Applying pressure. God was resisting him. So he never felt that it would stop. My conscience is screaming on the inside, making me weak. And then I dried up, he said, like a drought in summer with God's hand pressing on me. Remember my mother's hand pressing on me a couple times. I knew what that meant. Look, David grew up with a harp in his hand and a song in his heart. He's watching over his sheep, writing music. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, Psalm 23. He writes in another one, The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm number 19. And he wrote songs full of praise to God. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, Psalm number 8. But when he ignored God after he sinned, tried to avoid his nagging conscience, the music went silent. And the joy disappeared. And the love that had been so full and flowing towards God, he says, became dry and empty. Do you ever feel like your joy is dried up? Like your love is shriveling up? And he writes at the end of that, Selah, which means stop and think about this. So when you're reading, you come to Selah, you're supposed to stop and think about it. Stop and think, he says, what happened to me. My worship was gone. My pleasure in my music was gone. I was weathering away all because I refused to repent. And then something happened. The Bible tells us that a day came when the prophet Nathan knocked on David's door. And he came in and he said to David, You know, i got a story to tell you. There was a man who only owned one sheep. And this fellow came along and stole the only sheep he had. Took it for him, for his own. David said, who is that man that stole that man's only sheep? Let him pay for his theft and give back four times as many sheep. David was angry. And Nathan looked at David and said, that was you. You did that. You were the one. That was pretty bold. David was suddenly face to face 
with his own sins. And then he writes verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Let's stop and think about that, he says. Stop and think about that. He repented, poured out his heart to God, and he said, I have sinned, I committed adultery and murder. But there's more to sin than the fact of it. There was the hypocrisy of it. Hiding it. Trying to erase it. So David said, I confessed adultery and murder. And then I opened up my heart to all of the hypocrisy that I had had. The poison in sin was the hypocrisy behind it. Now we can go back to verse 1 and 2. Blessed he is he who transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. There's three things here. Number one, God forgives the sin. He offers pardon. We sing in that song that we love so much, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. God forgives the sins. But God goes farther than that. See, that's not enough. God goes farther than that. Number two is God covered the sin. It's gone. It's hidden from view. It's out of sight. As if by one great swipe of God's hand, he swept it all away and buried it, he said, in the deepest sea. And it's gone forever. And it is not going to be brought up continually as a constant reminder. It's gone. (laughs) Hallelujah. And now God does number three not impute iniquity to us. That is, we can stand forgiven as if we never did anything wrong. That's amazing, my friend. What a blessing is God's forgiveness. How happy it makes us when he says, I'll look at you as if you never sinned at all. Oh, there's a lot of happiness in that. But there is more to sin in verse 2 at the end. It said, in whose spirit there is no guile. Inside of us is a spirit, a deep-seated attitude, guile. The ability to lie. And sin carries with it the deep-rooted, down-lying in our heart, in the deep, secret heart. You see, the first human sin recorded was eating a piece of fruit. And the serpent, who was Satan, came along and he said to Eve, Go ahead, eat that fruit. Looks good. And he said, no, 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 we can't eat that. God said not to. And the old servant said, hey, God say that. 
No, God knows it's good for you. God doesn't really mean what he says. And although God did clearly say, don't eat the fruit, Adam and Eve ate it anyway. With the excuse, we want to be wise. In all sin, there is a lie. There is guile and deceit. God said, don't do it. Thou shalt not. But we went against God. So sin is always based on a lie. God said no, but we say yes, I will. I can and I will. It's okay if I do it. If I use God's name in vain, it's okay. If I lie, I got a reason. It's okay. If I steal, I get what's coming to me anyway. It's okay. And if I hate you, I got every reason to hate you. It's okay. God says in every sin there is guile, deceit, a lie to believe every excuse and to blame it on the other person somehow. Guile and deceit in our spirits so deeply ingrained. Oh yes, God said it, but it doesn't apply to my situation. David said, it was sweet to be forgiven, my friends, and to have sin removed from us, have God pronounce that we are not guilty, And he felt the weight of God's hand on him. He said, day and night, pressing, a constant reminder. But now God's wonderful hand has swept away the iniquity and it's gone. Buried, forgotten. My friends, we have an advantage here today over David. We know something that he didn't know. There was a nail There was a nail. Jesus opened his hand and they drove it into his hand. Right through his hand. Into the cross of wood. We're told he refused the painkillers they offered him. And so he held out his hand and they nailed that hand to a cross. And he suffered great agony and excruciating pain so he could forgive and cover your sins and say you were innocent. And what bothers me is not so much how much we've sinned. What's troubling to me is how easy it is for us to sin. How easy it is. The hand that formed you in your mother's womb And the hand that swept away your sins when you repented is the same hand that was nailed to a cross. When 
David says, I was so unhappy, so dried up. I felt God's hand on me, a heavy hand. My conscience roared and groaned, and I felt weak and weary. But now, he says, I'm happy, I'm blessed, forgiven, and my sin has been swept away by his old hand. And that old lie, that it doesn't matter what God says, do it anyway. That old lie has been rooted out and gone. And now if God says thou shalt not, I guarantee I will not. No excuses. No hypocrisy. No guile. No lies. I will do what God says to do. Verse 6. For this shall every man that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. There is a moment in time. There is a day that arrives. A Nathan comes and knocks on your door. At that moment, God is near. Call out to him. Because sin grows into a flood and it will wash you away. How sadly have I seen it over and over. God draws near to people and they say, no, not today, not today. Sin comes and sweeps them away. Call on God before it's too late. Sin is like a flood that washes you away. Verse 7, thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Say law. Stop and think about that. Now, the hand of God comes again and covers me. You remember, God told Moses when he was on the mountaintop, he said, hide in that rock there. And I'm going to cover you with my hand. And so under that gentle hand, we find refuge. We sing it often. He's a shelter in the time of storm. We are safe in his hand. And when that happens, when we know God's hand is safely covering us, then we find our songs again. David lost his songs for a while. But oh, how pleasant it was when his heart was filled again with music and songs of deliverance. Have you lost your song? And do you want it back? Call upon God when he's near. And now after David has repented, after he finally broke the silence and talked to God, and after his loud conscience finally went silent, Now he can hear what God's saying to him. Verse number 8 is God speaking. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Two forms of guidance God offers. Instructions, he said, like this psalm, an instruction, a lesson for us to learn. Like the Sermon on the Mount, the great sermon of Jesus, full of instructions, like the parables of Jesus. There's much to learn about life, and God gave us a Bible to instruct us. But then number two, it says, God guides us with his eye. 
Now my mother was like that. Wherever we were, we looked at her and we could read it in her eyes. There was approval, and then there was disapproval. It was, yes, go ahead. And there was, no, don't you dare. She didn't have to tell us. We just looked at her, and we knew. God wants to do the same thing to you. You'll have to keep your eyes on him all the time to know all the advice you need is written in his face. Make him your best advisor and your counselor. Stay close to him and talk to him every day and then listen for what he says. And he says, for heaven's sake, don't be like a stubborn horse or a contrary mule. Those animals have reins because you got to jerk them to get them to go the way you want them to go. Don't be so stubborn that God's got to jerk you to get your attention. Just follow Jesus and do it willingly. If someone asks, do you want to do what God says? Say, yes, yes. Let me know what it is and I'll do it. I delight to do the will of God. That's the way to happy life. Happy living. Verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. A life of sin is full of sorrow. How it pains me to see people walking away from God's will and they head down a pathway of pain and sorrow. As the old fellow said, God has his best for those who will stand the test. And God has second best for those who will not have the best. Follow Jesus in the pathway you'll find mercy, lots of it, full and free. And what pleasure you will find in doing God's will. Now there's three more things in verse 11. Be glad in the Lord, rejoice ye righteous, and shout for joy all you that are upright in heart. To be glad is a feeling in your heart. It's a good feeling. <laughs> You got Jesus in your heart, it feels good. And I'm glad. Now rejoice, says let the gladness come out. Express it with words. Let it be heard. And then the last thing he says, and shout for joy. Oh no, I can't shout. That would be excessive. Let me tell you something. Jesus died on the cross. That was excessive. Don't be afraid to shout a little. We're a little too tame sometimes. Why would you shout? Because my sins are forgiven. God's hand has swept them away. And now he puts that wonderful hand over me. He's my hiding place. His hand was nailed for me. So clap your hands then and shout for God. Youth is restored. There's a song back in the heart. Strength and vitality come back. Joy and peace. I love the Lord and he loves me. I'm happy and I feel good. 
So my friends, there's great happiness in the forgiveness of God. I hope you pass this class. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful to us. Sometimes it shocks us. But oh, how we need you. And what you've done for us is such a happy thing. We're so grateful. And so bring us that happiness that comes from doing the will of God and getting rid of the guile that lies in the soul. And be honest. And don't wait too long. Don't be so stubborn. Do the will of God. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn to me to hymn number 478. 478, standing as we sing. 478 in closing. Glory to his name. Stand as we sing number 478. Glory to his name. Page 478. Down at the cross where my Savior had died, down at the cleansing from sin I cried, led to my heart from the blood
said? Amen. 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 Yes, Levi, close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we are grateful that your mighty hand lays on us, sometimes in a hard way, that you show us the things that we have done wrong. Help us, we pray, to repent in our hearts and change those things that so subtly come in. Help us to be willing to see what you want in our lives and not to be blind. Give us that sight through your Holy Spirit. Touch us and teach us to walk anew, to turn away from those things that would hold us away from you. And we thank you so much that at your calling, we just need to repent, we just need to turn, we just need to ask and you will forgive us. You will change us, make us whole and new, and take away our sins, wash us clean. And we thank you, and we pray that we would give your name glory for such a great and wonderful thing. It is the most precious gift in all the world. There's nothing else we can get that is more precious than forgiveness from you. We thank you so much for these things, and we thank you. We pray our hearts would be rejoicing evermore for these things and give you the glory. Protect us and watch over us. Bring us back to this place, we pray, and may we be thankful throughout this coming week and thinking about our hearts and where we stand with you each and every day. In your name we pray for these things. Amen.